Hello and welcome to Pedagodzilla, the pedagogic podcast with the pop culture core. Today we are answering the bloody stupid question, how does the zone of proximal development make you a better parkour murderer in Assassin's Creed? Or not, as the case may be. <laughs> anyway, answering that question is me. Well, part of the question. Answering part of that question is me, Mike. Hello. I am a senior learning designer at the Open University, focusing on student outcomes, a man with a microphone, and still, despite all of this, imposter syndrome incarnate. And I am joined as ever by my capable co-host with the signature line, as long as your arm. <laughs> I don't, oh God. Well, anyway, I'm I'm Mark Charles. I'm also a senior learning designer at uh, Durham University but at Durham University and uh yeah, National Teaching Fellow. NT NTF SFHEA DR PhD, PhD oh, you name it you name a set of letters I haven't got an M Phil what's an M Phil master of philosophy oh. <laughs> M Phil sounds like one of those things that you'd use in the bathroom um if your tiles started to oh what? yeah yeah slightly bigger than an N Phil but not as big yeah, as a, yeah. as a complete dash yeah exactly. oh they got mulgar in there put a bit of M Phil on that that'll do the job <laughs> Anyway, you said you were looking forward to this one. I was, yeah, yeah. So it's been a little while since we've done a, um, a straight-up just Mike and Mark uh, recording on something kind of bite-sized, and it's on Zone of Proximal Development. And actually, this one's been on my to-hit list for quite a while, uh, mostly because it's one of those things that people sort of throw around a mm. lot, and I wonder if it's because it sounds really fancy, because it's got lots of good language in it. But should we maybe yeah. break that down a little bit in the first poll? Yeah, I made a note. I made notes for this one because um, I think it well because it connects with nearly everything else. So I thought it's worth sort of like trying to kind of keep track of what other things it informs that you sort of take for granted when you're looking at other stuff. So yeah, I think it's it's quite straightforward, really, but it's quite fundamental. As so yeah, so worth looking at. Okay. Um, that's perfect because uh, okay. yeah, I have not more than a cursory knowledge of what it is. I think I know the basics, but yeah, mm -hmm. looking forward to seeing how it connects okay. everything else. Okay, uh, and let's do that in the first part of the show where we start to break down our question. Part one: the question. And so, what are we starting with? Okay, so how does the zone of proximal development make you a better parkour murderer in Assassin's Creed? Uh, the two components to that: zone of proximal development and parkour murdering in Assassin's Creed. Should we should we talk about Assassin's Creed first? Yeah, let's do that first. Yeah, Assassin's Creed uh, has become one of the biggest video game franchise, franchises of all time. Uh, first game came out in two thousand seven. I want to say originally on the Xbox 360 and PS3. Um, and in it, you play a white-hooded, mysterious assassin, and there's time travel and stuff, and you're going through these mind-jumpy things to like possess the body of your ancestors through genetic memory, lots of hokum, lots of weirdness. But critically, the fun bit is that you are running around the ancient world doing parkour, ha-ha, um, and um, doing stabs on bad people. Because in, in this game, in this franchise, in this series, uh, assassins are good and everybody that they're stabbing is bad. Uh, and yeah, they're a really fun uh, set of games. They are unbelievably up themselves with their own lore. Um, <laughs> and yeah, they kind of, they they take a, a loose and fun approach to uh, to all of history. I, I played the death out of the first game, uh, which I can't remember where it was set now. Is that like Rome? So, Rome, Vienna? No, not Vienna. Yeah, well, the, I, that's the one, that's, I played that one. Yeah, because I played um, two, uh, Assassin's Creed 2 and Assassin's Creed Brotherhood. Uh, I 
played almost i could have like played the cd transparent i um loved those games you played Ezio, who was an incredibly cool assassin and you made friends with leonardo da vinci he'd be like hey i've made you an assassin's gear and like you'd have like a super flying machine to go and do a stab with it was uh it was absolutely super oh, cool i never but, got yeah. that far through it yeah oh man you missed out so <laughs> I did play as Ezio. Ezio is that it? Uh, on a Soul Calibur Five, I think he was a downloadable extra character, oh. guest character on that. So I, I, I've I've seen the done all the shooting a bit, but that's 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 I probably spelled, played him more in Soul Calibur than I did in Assassin's Creed. So which was your Assassin's but, Creed then? Which was the uh, the one that got you? Um, the one I got furthest through was Odyssey, which was I think they rebooted it, didn't they? I didn't because I, there's I don't remember any of the time travel stuff in Odyssey. You you aren't inhabiting the body of your ancestor. I think they just went back and did it as a straightforward uh, history thing. But um, yeah, I revisited it because I didn't get on very well with the first one. I thought, oh, this is fascinating because. People were using Assassin's Creed, the actual open world that they designed. It's historically accurate. So people were using it in education to actually say, well, let's go and visit uh, Renaissance Florence or whatever it is and look around at the buildings and wander around. And they were doing that with um, Odyssey. There was actually one of the extra content you could look at was a guided tour around the Parthenon by somebody, in, you know, as it was in the ancient Greek time, which is a, a project that I, I, I did that with a, a, one of my uh, VR projects way in 2010 or something like that. So that was fascinating, sort of seeing how it could be used in, in education as well. But And also I enjoyed playing it up until the point at which I got stuck. Uh, and we could talk about that maybe in the third, in the in the uh, second part of this. But um, yeah, I didn't get. I just found it got too hard too quickly. It's like um, I'll we'll probably put a link to it in the show notes. But there's a Daro Breen who talks about games being different from um, listening to music or reading books. In that you never put a CD on, and after the fourth track, it gets you to you know dance for you. And if your dance is not sufficiently adequate. You can't listen to the rest of the CD, whereas with games, you can get to a point whereby, and I think he's talking about Metal Gear Solid, <laughs> if you can't actually acquire the skills to get past that point in the game, you don't get to play the rest of the game. It's like they take it away from you. And so that's I didn't get very far through Odyssey either. I, I got to enjoy it, and then I got to a point where I couldn't do any more, which is where, you know, like I said, that this is why we picked this as a topic for Zone of Proximal Development. Okay, so that's so that's my entire experience of Odyssey of uh, Assassin's Creed is about five minutes of the first one, where I, until I got stuck, and about three hours of the second one until I got stuck. I see. Well, this is it. So this is the interesting contrast because I think I stopped playing them uh, quite early on in three because I was finding it too easy. Uh, it just wasn't challenging me at all. And, interesting. Um, Sorry, actually, that sounds patronizing, but you know, I was no, kind of- no. I, I mean, I'm not a very skilled hand-eye coordinator, whole coordination type of games player. You know, I mean, I'm 15 years old, which makes a bit of difference, I think. <laughs> <laughs> So, you know, it slows you, you get slowed down, but also there's a whole, there's a coordination sequence of button pressing that I'd never managed to acquire, basically. It does have a fun uh, combat system, that kind of nice uh, rock, paper, scissors, um, sort mm-hmm. of stab, parry uh, thing, all the gizmos. But anyway, we're getting to, anyway. into the, the ephemera. Yeah. Zone of proximal development, the other component of our question. So, not only is it called ZPD, which sounds. Kind of like uh, an evil organization from a children's Saturday morning cartoon. 
the, the way I have it filed in my head is, and please do correct me on this or give me the, the actual version, the way I have it filed in my head is that it's the bit between, or the difference between, being able to not being able to do something and being able to do something with help. That's kind of the where I have it filed. Oh, okay. That's interesting. That's, Is that totally wrong? No, no, that's actually t- totally more accurate than, than what I've got. Oh, oh dear. <laughs> Only because what I... I I, I had a quote. There's a quote which is: "There are things known and the things unknown, and in between is the zone of proximal development." <laughs> so that is, I think, that's the sort of hard and fast definition. But a lot of people will use it in sense of what you can, what you can achieve. You know, there's there's what you know. This is the basis. This is the basis you're working from. Particularly if you're looking at it from a kind of constructivist point of view, and then there's all the stuff that's out there. That's all the knowledge you can acquire. And then the zone of proximal development is, yeah, is probably strictly what you can do when you've got advice and support. But more generally, it's what you can learn within a particular sequence of time. It's what is within the scope of you being able to learn during that learning activity. So one of the things I did was, because we've done so much stuff on myths, particularly around learning styles and stuff, that I thought I would look up uh, zone of proximal development as a myth, <laughs> um, <laughs> just in case it's all bullshit and I didn't realise. And what the what the crit- the main criticism of it seems to be is that people will talk about zone of proximal learning as a zone of proximal development, uh, which is I realise what I'd been doing. But I read through this critique, and one thing I didn't understand was the difference between development and learning. I read it a few times, and it still wasn't clear what they meant by development that wasn't learning and then the other one was that they they critique was this is actually really obvious if you just talk about what people are capable of learning so therefore it becomes pointless to talk about and i don't think it is i think one of the biggest flaws we have with education is that we ask students to take on too much to take too big a leap with what they're with what they're learning and yeah what you said is absolutely right that you can learn acquire more information when you work with other people or you know, you, when you're drawing on other skills that can help you learn. So, you know, looking, th- you might think, oh, I get stuck on this, so I'm just going to look it up. I'm going to get ChatGPT to do a summary for me. Now, some people might have that skill, might have that knowledge that that's what you can do. Some people might not. So what is within their proximal learning? What are they capable of learning in any one go is going to increase because they've got acquired skills. So it's going to vary from person to person. But I think as a as a concept, it's often overlooked. It's it's that we will ask too much of students, or we won't consider what is that within that zone of what they can do at any one time. So I think that's that's kind of where I see it used mainly in people's communication. And although some people might argue that's a bit, you know, sophomoric, whatever, I don't. I think it's still a useful concept even when used in that kind of more general idea well so this is the thing i i have found it as a term weaponized um mm. in that i think people throw I, i've seen people throw it around like ah well but what about the zone of proximal development oh, yeah. as in ah what i'll do is i'll bat around this big long term which mm-hmm. i don't think the other people in this room quite understand and it'll be my trump card oh, right. as long as nobody questions it it's all good because it does feel like kind of one of those swiss army terms that people have um thrown around um, not maliciously, uh, but from time to time in uh, in pedagogic discussions uh, that have come up. 
Yeah, and they'll, they'll add Vygotsky in there as well because it's one of the things that originated with Vygotsky. Um, and that was the point you said the person was reading was saying was that, well, he really meant development. But I think, you know, it does. I, this is why, like I said, I made notes because it does link to so much other stuff. I mean, it, it ties in with that stuff on cognitive load in that, you know, you, you can't, the, what is it within that zone of proximal development? What you, the stuff that you can acquire at any one time is limited partly by what the, your cognitive load is going to be in that you can't throw too much at people all at once. You can't throw too much at them if there's other stuff going on. You know what we talk called about the extraneous cognitive load and all that sort of stuff. And one of the problems with uh, we looked at when we looked at um, constructivism and Bean Dad and all that, like just problem solving, is that all of the extra cognition that goes with trying to work out how to do it also limits what it is that you can do. And then also there's other things that it ties in with, like um, I've got well I've got here one of my things is Bloom's taxonomy, so that it's about structuring it. So you go structure it from here's a very basic kind of concept to the next sort of concept, which is a bit more complicated and a bit more in-depth. And what you're doing then is breaking it down into smaller steps so that each step is within that zone of what people can acquire at any one particular time. And that's all it is, really. Okay, so Um, this is a zone of capability then. The zone of proximal development is a zone of the learner's capability? The zone by the zone of what they can acquire in that one particular time. So yeah, what how they can develop the de- the degree to which they can develop uh, within that space. So the idea is that you look at what they've got already, you ignore everything else that lies beyond it, and you just create one small st- step that is then you can acquire it, you can then consolidate it, you can then add that to your basic framework of what you know, and then you do the next step. You don't try and throw too much stuff at them at once. You give them some stuff, you let them develop that, consolidate that, and then you move on to the next one. So it's kind of layering it bit by bit. But each layer is only as thick as their zone of proximal development. Gotcha. So, yeah, the question is almost what can the learner effectively learn in this space? And the space could be a period of time. It could be a... Um, a conceptual space, I suppose, or kind of like a set of mechanisms. Okay, yeah. That, and if it goes too far, then they start, they haven't consolidated the early stuff, so that starts disappearing before they can get the new stuff in. So it's like you need to practice that one skill before you then practice the next one, before you practice the next one, and too many skills all at once, and you can't do any of them effectively because you're on cognitive overload. Ah, so and that, that, that and you've moved outside of your zone of proximal development. Exactly. Yeah. What's I mean? What does that presumably make that the the hinterlands of non-development or post proximal? Yeah, that's uh, well, uh, um, distal is the opposite of proximal. Ah, cool. Do you know, I had to, I had to Google what proximal actually meant. I didn't realize it meant <laughs> at the end of something. Oh, does it? It needs the near. It's the opposite, isn't it? Is Wait. it the nearest bit? Proxima Centauri is the closest star because it's proxima it's proximal. i want to say it was it's like closest. the end of stuff like the end of your arms uh on, proximal dictionary. okay oh it's yeah it's what it's up what, what is within your reach probably oh, literally situated oh piss okay no never mind situated <laughs> nearer to the center of the body or the point of attachment yeah so it's i mean yeah so it's what's within your reach at any one point it's graspable i mean if you wanted to say the zone of proximal development you could go graspable learning it's what you I can grasp do that well, this is, you know, this is bloody pedagogy <laughs> gatekeeping all over again. A graspable learning. Oh, dear. No, we can't graspable have that. Anybody learning. could understand that. We could, uh, Christ, all right. No, let's call this a zone of proximal development. Bloody hell. Yeah. 
But I mean, I, I guess Vygotsky, I mean, you know, I, I, it did mean something very, very specific from it, which isn't graspable, but that's how it ends up being used. And we're talking about how people generally mean it. And, I, you know, and going back to the original criticism, it's not obvious. People will throw too much stuff at students all the time. Hmm. This is this is the same we have for so much learning design, or so much learning design theory, and so many pedagogical ideas. Is that some of them seem really bloody obvious, and mm. they're still it's Overlooked. still so easy to forget in the melee. Yeah. The other thing about proximal development is that if you are staying within it, it links to Chicksent Mahali's concept of flow. And the thing is, is that what you were saying about things being too easy is that if you're not challenging students enough. If you're actually keeping things way, you know, there's the proximal development is, if something's too easy to grasp, if it's actually too close to the body, using the literal meaning, then students will become disenchanted because they're not feeling that flow because flow is also about challenge, but a manageable challenge. So the idea is that you're pushing students, but not pushing them too much. And that is is where the zone is. Really, is this the um, does this link to that eighty percent success thing I've heard before? Because I've I've always really liked that as a as a concept. I think somebody mentioned it to me originally in coaching. Okay, coaching. You you do remember that anytime somebody puts a percentage on something, they're talking bullshit. (laughs) It's worth remembering as a golden rule: anything in a triangle is a useful model, but not actually true. Anything that's got a percentage is actually detrimental and means absolutely nothing. (laughs) Um, Pearls. Sorry, can we roll back real quick to you talked about the difference between development and learning, and I feel like we probably need to deconflate that first. So do we the difference between Yeah, because if if there is a debate around development and learning, then what's the difference? I don't know. I didn't understand it. I mean if somebody out there can is aware of get got their heads around what what you know, zone of why zone of proximal development is development, and why not the zone of proximal learning? I'd be really keen to hear it, but I don't. I didn't get it, to be honest. I will put my hands up and go. I did not understand the argument about what the difference was. Anyway, sorry, Mark, I interrupted you. Um... Oh, uh, and the other th- so um, so scaffolding. So if you scaffold it, and you also if you would learn how to do some self scaffolding, which we can talk about. Um, in the next bit, then your zone will increase using this particular metaphor. Your grasp will extend a bit. And then when we get on to threshold concepts, which you're going to chat to Puyin about very shortly, I hope, um, um, then, yeah, then it really gets condensed down. Your zone is very, very small because you're banging your head against something that will you know, that you need to get your head around before you can progress. And so then your zone's really, really contracted. Um, so, yeah, so it ties into that a bit as well. And then the other thing, and I think we'll come on to this in the next bit, is about resilience, about how resilient your learners are. And some of them won't be, so their zone's reduced by that. And some of them are really resilient and keep on going back for more. And so that means that the what will count as a single graspable action learning type thing is extended because they can just stick at it more or they're more motivated to to extend that and so on. So this is the problem is that people will design materials going, oh, well, a student can read this for a week and then we can test them on it. But you're going to lose students because some of them can do that because that's within their zone and some of them it's not. So it's it's not the sort of thing that you can just throw at people and just assume that it's all going to the same thing's going to work for everyone. 
Okay, well, I feel like we're, we're almost trailing the next part with this. So yeah. let's jump straight into it okay. and start actually kind of uh, taking this. By the way, this has already like massively simplified my understanding of ZPD. So well, that's what my job is, is because I don't really, I'm not, I'm not really that smart. So what I have to do is get a superficial bullshit understanding of stuff just enough to be able to use it and to impress people about it but without really digging into the real depths of it because one that confuses me but then if i tell start to tell other people about it that'll confuse them so you know you get if you're nice want a nice quick superficial graspable idea of anything that's why you listen to this podcast <laughs> to mark child's quick and graspable okay so let's move on to part two of the show oh, that's going in my bio <laughs> after relatively unknown for only fans okay, okay. So let's move on to the second part of the show where we start to answer our question how does the zone of proximal development make you a better parkour murderer in assassin's creed part two the answer How does the zone of proximal development make you a better parkour murderer in Assassin's Creed? Um, the reason why I went straight to gaming when we were talking about um, ZPD was that the first time I came across it as a concept was um, a session at uh, Alt-C from Dave White. Remember Dave White, friend of the podcast? I do remember Dave White. I very much enjoyed his uh, interview where he talks about... Um, <laughs> approach your professional uh, life like a game it makes you make better decisions and it yeah. it works it's brilliant absolutely and he, he i knew it. I, I met dave because he was working with um second life but he was also working with world of warcraft and what he did was he measured the skills increase so you know we talk about learning curves well a steep learning curve is a steep learning curve because each step is uh, a really big zone. It's assuming a huge zone in that proximal development space. And he was kind of like trying, he was observing, videoing people getting used to World of Warcraft. And he was used to students getting used to Second Life. And he was noticing that the tasks that they were set in World of Warcraft were inc incrementally a lot smaller than the tasks that were the complexity of the tasks in Second Life. Okay. So the attrition rate in Second Life is huge. You know, like, I think, I don't know, percentages. I mean, it's an actual real percentage, but it's like 85% of people never pass, never get past the first hour. Yeah, percentages are bullshit, Mark. <laughs> I think, actually, if it's a positivist <laughs> measure of an actual thing that you can observe. Oh, sorry, if it supports your argument. No, gotcha. Okay, carry on. <laughs> <laughs> no, the thing is, is that, well, we have to go back to our positivism and interpretivism. I mean, if you're putting numbers on somebody's feelings about stuff, it's bullshit. But if you're measuring, actually, the people who've dropped out after an hour, that's a physical, actual real objective measure do you know what i mean so anyway so <laughs> 85 I, this is the bullshit when i say them because i can't remember the actual numbers <laughs> <laughs> so anyway 85 percent of people dropped out after an hour uh and um well, world of warcraft people stuck around with it a lot longer and looking at the video you could see people getting really distressed because they couldn't actually cope with all the things that are being thrown at them and this is the thing about games design which what makes it which makes games designer the best pedagogues on the whole is because if you can't if you if you finding uh, learning a struggle you've probably got to stick with it because you've paid for your fees and you need the degree or whatever if you get stuck with a game you just stick it in the bin um or put it on ebay or take it to sec is it cex i don't know how you pronounce yeah. that you don't pronounce it sex then 
No, CEX. <laughs> okay, thank you. That's helped with my zone of proximal development there. CEX. You don't. What you don't do is carry on playing it because you have to do it. So games designers build this sort of self-directed, self-learning thing, and they have to do it in incremental steps so that each bit of you playing is a challenge that's just a little bit more difficult than the challenge before. Ergo, zone of proximal development, they're always working in that particular zone at each step of the way. Make it too easy, people are going to give up on it, though. So everything has to build just a little bit more difficult difficulty. Dif- everything has to build with a little bit more difficulty. So that's how that works. Um, what I found with Assassin's Creed was the first one, you're in this valley or something, and you're jumping around, and you have to get a sequence of steps sequence of clicks on your button presses on your thing just right in order to get out of the valley. And I must have spent an hour on this trying to get this button sequence just right, and I couldn't get anywhere. So I didn't I didn't even see Florence or wherever it is. I was just stuck in the training scenario because, for me, that, that step was just too big. There was, there was just too big a gap. Um, and then when I played as Odyssey, um, again, the threshold concept, but I'm going in there trying to kill the bad guy in a little village or whatever in in a Greek island and then zipping out again and getting killed and my health going down too quickly or whatever. And then I suddenly had a brainwave. Well, I don't have to sneak in and sneak out. What I can do is sneak around the edge, kill a few people, and then sneak off again, regenerate my life, my health thing, and then go back and kill a few more intensely laborious <laughs> it took me like probably 10 times longer than you're supposed to but at my skills threshold of button hitting it was eminently doable and actually quite a lot of fun because i was great and also i could get probably an hour's worth of play out of what was supposed to be only five minutes um and that was like a threshold concept is you don't have to sneak in and sneak out you can just work your way around the edge wipe out everybody one at a time and then you, you can just walk in without doing all the stealth stuff and then do whatever it is you have to do. And that worked. That worked for me from island to island, and I was progressing through my character, and I was getting to really love my character as well, which is a good thing with these games, and just you know wanting her to succeed the next bit. And then I got to the first battle, and then so it's like, you know, get got like wasted pretty quickly because, you know, I'm not very good. And then so I snuck off out of the battle zone to, re-de- to regenerate. And then the fucker chased me. And killed me. So I thought, okay, that didn't work. So I'll try that again. And then it happened again, and I couldn't hide. I couldn't regenerate. I couldn't get all my life skill, life points back. So I just thought, I just can't do this. So I'd hit, like, basically a level by which I couldn't get past, where all the skills that I'd acquired in order to work out how to do things, I just got, I just couldn't get past. And I know with the self-scaffolding, one of the things you can do is go off and and sort of search on the on YouTube for tips or, or on th- which is how I got really good on Soul Calibur by my relatively <laughs> skill there base. I will um, absolutely fight you in Soul Calibur. Just oh, okay. Well, we'll have to do that. Um, I mean, I I'm probably am pretty really. Sh- I've never played anybody else because I know I will I will be shit at it, you know. But um, uh, but you know, I was getting up to the difficult. What's the next up past hard? I was getting up Ooh. to that level anyway with with sort of being able to do but I couldn't get anywhere on Soul Calibur because I just found Assassin's, that, Creed. Assassin's Creed rather because I couldn't get past there was a, a step that was just too much for me. So, so yeah, so anyway, in, so for me in it terms didn't of work. TPD then. So mm-hmm. in terms if we if we characterize this sorry, we um frame this through the lens of uh, zone of proximal development. Yeah. I mean it sounds almost like your zone of proximal development throughout this was stationary. 
Like no, you. it was incrementally small. So and that's the thing. Yeah. I mean, I was yeah. I was progressing because I was getting better at it and I was getting more and more difficult skills thrown at me. But only with the one, only this one strategy that I'd acquired worked for me. So I could sneak a little bit better each time. I could shoot a little bit better each time. It didn't, you know, I could, uh, I could get more people before my, um, my health uh, decreased too much, depleted too much, but I was still grow. I was still each step for me had to be incrementally small. If there was no challenge, I wouldn't have got it. So if it was zero, if my zone of proximal development was zero, a ZZPD, um, I um, ZZ top ZZPD, um, I would have. Uh, oh, you can cut that bit out. Um, <laughs> I wouldn't have liked it at all anyway because it wouldn't have been getting harder, but. If it gets too hard too quickly, I just don't have the resilience and the motivation to just keep on at it for hours until I can get mm. past that bit. Yeah, it almost feels like, I mean, knowing the the games as I do, mm. it almost feels like I was expecting you to d- be developing a different, like an additional set of skills at the same yeah. time while doing this. So it's yeah. almost like your zone was quite, not, was narrowed can be yes. based on their concept of the overall skills that they'd be acquiring. So, I mean, if we apply yeah. this in a in a pedagogic sense, this would be like somebody getting halfway through a degree qualification, for example, with you know really good uh, kind of argument argumentative and, and writing skills, and yet somehow having no research ability whatsoever. Or a better one, because I'm drawing from from um, complete <laughs> complete. So this is my own experience doing a physics degree, getting through the first year simply by memorizing how you're supposed to derive like, say, Einstein's theory of special relativity, without actually understanding the concepts behind what I was doing. I would just memorize it line by line. No, actually, that one I did understand. But there's a lot of them. Appleton dispersion is the one that really freaks me out still. It's like, I have no idea what I'm doing here. I'm just memorizing. I don't know what div, curl, and grad mean. I've just memorized the symbols, and I've learned to replicate them, which can take you so far, but actually... If you want to exceed, I was doing massive amounts of work, still, you know, only getting 40% or something because I didn't understand the underlying concepts behind them. Um, and so that's that's on my zone of proximal development there kind of started off small and got smaller and smaller because at some point you've got to actually understand what the difference is between force and energy and all that sort of thing. That's an interesting thing there about almost essentially kind of reaching a situation where it's it's like two it's like a it's like two overlapping circles in a Venn diagram except they start to get further and further apart. Mm. So the shared area where your zone intersects with what the requirements of the course is gets smaller and smaller. And of course, if your focus is narrower and it's starting to pull yeah. away from you, you start latching on with less and less. Um, yeah, or or rather, yeah, it's the the same skill set. Yes, you're right, but they form a smaller percentage of the overall skill set, so they don't take you as far. So and then uh, I didn't realize, I yeah, you know, I knew I didn't know how to go about. It. I I didn't acquire any self scaffold there was no scaffolding so i got further and further behind and ended up with a 2-2 um so yeah uh still pretty good though <laughs> well, i suppose so but i needed to get to go to hawaii and be on mauna kea at the observatory there i needed a first you know and oh. so yeah well you know i got to hawaii just on holiday it's fine <laughs> yeah, enjoy the beaches so yeah so if i try and uh characterize my own Mm-hmm. Zone of proximal development in terms of Assassin's Creed, I suppose it would be that personally plays a lot of video games. When I played the very first mm-hmm. one, I found it very much within my zone, but in a sweet, beautiful, challenging spot because that parkour mechanic that they've got. Essentially, in the games, you're you're playing this assassin who can climb and run over surfaces. And it was um, you remember when parkour was super cool and everybody was doing it. 
yeah. uh, movies and things like Born Identity and things. It was it was that time, and it was just incredibly fluid, and it felt amazing. And it was you were kind of learning how to do it, and you get better and better with it, and how you could use the verticality in the environment, and it felt wonderful. I had the controls kind of uh, plugged into my hands, essentially. My thumbs can just sort of game on their own with very little interaction from my brain. Um, but I was still definitely kind of in the, the sweet progressive space of that, of learning how to do it. And then you get thrown more and more combat complexity at you as the game progresses as well. So it starts introducing these really simple systems for kind of parry and uh, count, those like counter, stab and throw or something uh, and gadgets. And then it starts throwing more and more enemies at you. So it continues to get more difficult, but yeah, I was scaling with it quite nicely and I was really, really enjoying it. Um, and then the the assassinations themselves get harder and harder. There's more tricky bits to the uh, actual kind of stealth elements and more planning needed. And then you need to be really quick on your feet to escape and the guards will murder the heck out of you. And that was fabulous and kind of perfectly within my fear. And then the same with the second game in that it introduced much more. So it introduced lots of gadgets and gizmos and, and more interesting characters and more, but basically more going on in the game. So they're kind of refined the bedrock um, of the, the experience and kind of the... Um, uh, the gameplay uh, but then kind of leveled it all up a bit so the in the complexity and the difficulty scaled up as well and it felt like you know your your skills were developing and then i hit three and it felt to me like the game was no more complex but i was already mm-hmm. at the level that had been set by the previous one. Oh, and so there wasn't any way to go and there weren't any more like difficulty settings higher difficulty settings i, it, I have a beef with higher difficulty settings in games because a lot of the time it's just add high difficulty and it means our enemy is now tougher enemy has more health and stuff isn't that more of a challenge though or is that just boring because it's the same well it's boring because it's just i mean higher health bar usually just means oh it now takes five stabs to kill this man rather than three and you're like right but you're still stabbing yeah yeah you're still doing a stab and it's like you know you've mastered the core mechanic of the game by that point which is sort Mm. of the the challenging and fun bit while you're there you're not there just to endlessly stick stored into man you're there to um you know be a masterful assassin in ancient (laughs) (laughs) times um Although I want to say we did Notre Dame at some point. I want to say we were in Notre Dame. God knows why. Um, but yeah, so that that's that is yeah, characterizing that within the zone of proximal development, there was no more space for growth for me. At least it yeah. felt like there was no more uh, it was beautifully scaffolded, basically all the way up to two for me. And then I suppose, I mean, it makes sense from a franchise perspective, because if the franchise continued to get harder, you'd never get any new players ever. Yeah. Um, but it is very much like getting to, I guess, level two in a degree. And then suddenly finding that level three is just level two again. Mm. Like, you'd just be disappointed. I mean, you'd collect your degree, don't get me wrong, but you'd be like, Yeah, you're learning, I suppose you're learning new stuff, just not more complicated stuff. I mean, for me, playing Assassin's Creed was about mastering the skills, but ultimately the skills are there for me to carry on exploring. Mm. So if I'd got, I mean, I would, I mean, uh, you know, I'm a big Mass Effect fan. And Mass Effect, love that game. Um, so yeah, and so by the end of the trilogy, I was playing, and on a second or third time playing through the trilogy, I was playing it on hard. Uh, oh, but of course that works differently because you've got other things like, yes, you can kill all the all the the re, the reavers, reapers, reapers, but um, you can try and sort of do the fi- the final run and get more of your crew surviving. And that sort of stuff. So I suppose there's some replay value because there are other skills you're trying to acquire, which is how do you then sort of boost your characters so you're, you're a crew so that they're more likely to survive and things like that. Um, so maybe that's how you, you could kind of get some replay value there. But yeah, but I, I don't find I, I, I never got I never got further than hard on um, 
uh, on any difficulty level on any game, really, apart from occasion some some of the the uh, characters in um, Soul Calibur. So for me, that difficulty setting isn't an issue because I'm still not doing that well at it, and but and but I'm still getting something out of. So there's still the challenge of the actual mechanics, but for me, the the majority of it is to experience the story and the setting and all that sort of stuff. I guess. So if we if we loop ourselves back to our yeah. question then. How does the zone of proximal development make you a better parkour murderer in Assassin's Creed or not? Okay, how does well, it? well, how does it is what exactly it's made it. It's you saying over the first two games, you got it was incrementally more and more difficult, more and more challenging, and so you got better and better at it. And I like all the parkour elements, so um, you know, um, I liked all that, and I was actually getting pretty good at them. Well, it's just you know the kind of level of concentration needed to to stay hidden for long enough was just a bit beyond me. Um, so um, so yeah, so that's how it was helping you was was because all and then it stopped and then when that zone of proximal development just disappeared and it wasn't developing anymore, you stopped being able to get any better because there's nowhere to go. You've reached the top and you've had to stop and that was what was bothering you. So you so, know, yeah. So the zone of proximal development helps you when it is aligned with the um the development uh the scale of challenge yeah. and with the development and scale of challenge within the game it's uh, it's helping you during that period mm. it's not a help to you when it exceeds that and it's not a help to you when it no longer matches up to it when it no longer stretches you when, when it, it no longer challenges stretches you to it. i mean some of the best games i've seen for this because i am a you know, I guess an elderly gamer. I would have now is the um, is where you when you try and challenge and you do it. You fail once you've died fifteen times or whatever. It makes it a bit easier, and those are brilliant because you know it then modifies what that zone of proximal development is to address your particular competencies. And my competency is simple is is going to always be limited by my hand-eye coordination, my speed of responses. You know, I mean, I'm competent at driving a car, but that's because I leave a huge gap. Be- well, not just, but I also leave a huge gap between me and anybody else. If I see anything else on the right road, I slow down because I, I don't want to stretch my reaction time because I know my reaction time is slightly slower than, than a younger person's. It's ditto games. So, and also it's that remembering like a Dara Brian sketch, which, it exactly sums up my experience is that you hit the button by panic and you find yourself crouching and crouching and walking at the same time instead of hiding, you know, and that's what you need is something that makes it a bit simpler and slower. And, but, you know, to introduce that as a kind of modification when your, uh, when your uh, player is, is dying too frequently. And it's the same with teaching, I, uh, really, if we're drawing that model, is that, yes, you can stretch people, but what you need to do is have an inbuilt flexibility, adaptability in your teaching so that if your students are not are, are dying, not dying literally, but dying, you know, falling apart uh, in that particular thing, is that you reduce the level of complexity. And I'm seeing, I mean, I'm doing some marking now on the PG cap and seeing what this lecturer's done. And that's what they're doing. They they look at their students, and if their students are struggling to understand maths, most of mine are mathematicians, maths teachers. They explain it more. They have another go, and they slow it down. And they also, you know, um, reduce the expectation on the student in that session to get to what it is that they need because they know. And then they will they still get there in the end, but they do it in smaller and smaller steps until the stu- steps until the students can manage those steps. 
Okay, I feel like we've summarily answered the question and we are now stepping very much into top tips okay. for your own practice. So let's transition to that now in mm-hmm. the third and final part of the show. Part three, practical tips. Okay. Zone of proximal development. Uh, you've just talked there about um, your own experiences with it and mm-hmm. what you've seen as good practice, but what are your top tips for people to utilize, to be aware of the zone of proximal development? Uh, so um, one is to consider what is achievable in what is graspable, what is within that, that, that kind of arm's length of the students mentally. So break it down into small steps. Don't you know, move, have one, st- if you're using blooms, then have one which is about basic building up the basic knowledge and then apply that knowledge. Consolidate it each time so they get a chance to practice it to make sure that that's one of the things unknown, a things known before you then move into the, you know, to start t- taking a chunk out of the things unknown. Uh, another one is to check what their skills are and if there are any other parallel skills that they need like this is the how to quickly react you know you can map your buttons so that if your automatic reaction when when you see a um, a roman soldier is to is it roman <laughs> greek soldier is to is to pull the trigger then you can map your controls to the trigger and if you get stuck the tips here on youtube or you can watch a twitch stream or whatever um to get more more ideas so build up identify what the parallel skills are don't make any assumptions there and make sure that the students have all of those parallel skills that they need in order to get to the next step um don't make any assumptions about their resilience some will be more resilient than others and be more motivated than others but some people you can only push for too long and experiencing failure or or not achieving the end point before they give up and others are just bang their heads against the same thing until they get there and I suppose the final one would be um, make sure that actually if they have learnt stuff along the way, it's not the wrong stuff. Because when you're building on a basis, a foundation to take it to the next level, one of the big fallacies with structivism as a concept for teaching is that sometimes what they're building on is is wrong. So if your concept about how you're supposed to respond in a Greek battle is to run away and recharge and that's not going to work and that's the only skill you know you've acquired a piece of information that's the wrong sort of information and so that needs to be addressed as well so yeah so those four things self-scaffolding scaffold it for them self-scaffolding make it small enough incremental steps and then check that the knowledge is all is correct that they're applying anyway yeah, and they've I got think, it all. I think that having having an awareness of what your loan what your learner's ZPD is and looks like is uh, and that it's going to be different for all all of them are going to be different. Yeah, because so, yeah. that's the thing. I think I mean in the, the example you gave earlier as well, it's really possible to get yourself quite far with you know if you're doing it uh, right, you can probably get yourself quite far with quite a narrow zone by <laughs> over relying on on certain skills, but eventually you will come a cropper with it. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I think my top tip um it's probably to be honest um yeah stop using the term zone of proximal development demystify it (laughs) use more plain language in your if you're talking to your students about this or you're talking with your colleagues about it uh call it the zone of reachable grabby learnable stuff that's in reach stuff that's graspable uh for students i think that's gonna definitely uh definitely help you out let's let's don't get the, uh, the nonsense language out of things and don't get hung up on the difference between what learning is and what development is because I wasn't getting it and I just thought, well, move on. You know, it sounds like it's pretty much the same sort of thing. I don't need to know what that distinction is in order to get something useful out of this whole concept. And if there is something that's useful, somebody can explain it to me. 
But yeah. we're going to get letters about this. We're going to get tweets. Well, I say yeah. we're going to get DMs. We're going to get yeah DMs. I predict. We, we, do we get letters? Well, I, I, we've never really posted an address, but I'd, I like to think somewhere somebody set up a PO box. But you know, I, I reckon we can get at least one like, salty uh, tweet uh, off of that. Angry of Chelmsford. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So I think we've covered it, and unusually for us, we've covered it in less than an hour. Well done, us. Well, it's it is. It's a nice, simple, straightforward thing. It just it, it permeates everything else, and that's why it's it comes up a lot but it you know in the way i understand it and the way it gets used it's not a massively complex thing really it's just about the fact that some people because of cognitive load and all that sort of stuff and resilience will only have so much they can learn in one bit before they have to start practicing it and consolidating it before well, as, as, as we know the cognitive load is a balancing act between shorter and longer term memory to bring your tuition to long-term fruition you should pass new schemas quite cleverly um <laughs> Cool. And with that, shall I, uh, shall I bring us to a close? Yeah, okay. Beautiful. So thanks very much for listening. You can subscribe to us on all of your favourite apps, feeds, iTunes, and at our website, pedagodzilla.com. You can also follow us and get in touch via Twitter. I am at Pedagodzilla. I'm at Mark Childs. Uh, if you've enjoyed the episode, and we really hope you did, then good for you. <laughs> Just top, top job. Couldn't be, we couldn't be more chuffed. For, for you and your enjoyment well done <laughs> why not share the URL by carving it into the moon with a laser um, <laughs> we love you lots and we'll see you next time on Pelagodzilla bye bye now bye